and welcome to Undercommon Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. Every reaction has an equal and opposite reaction. I'm Ian Woodworth. I'm joined by my co-host James Daly. And today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We're going through the free preview that was released by MCDM for their Flea Mortals monster book. I happened to miss the Kickstarter on this. I didn't realize that it was only going to be a two-week Kickstarter. So it is already done by the time of recording. They actually got this out really, really fast. And it was really impressive. They managed to raise $2 million in two weeks. That's, I mean, if I could make that in my day job, I'd be set. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would only need to work two weeks a year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Two weeks I every would, other year. Would, what are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> Two weeks a decade, yeah. I could live 10 years off of $2 million. I am convinced of this. Anyway, I'm going to apologize a little bit up front. I am on the tail end of allergy season, and so I am sounding a little rough, and I apologize for that. But I should be good to make it through if you can bear to listen to my uh, cigar smoker crackle that I got going on in my voice. He's still got a little bit of the Batman voice going. He's he's channeling his inner Kishan Bale, exactly. Which I still need to see the new one with... uh, Pattinson? Yeah, Cedric Diggory, whoever the hell he was. (laughs) Yeah, Cedric Diggory. All right. So a little bit on the MCDM book. The goal of the book, as I understand from Matt Colville's video about it, is partly to make encounters more entertaining, to make them more dynamic, to add some more elements to make it less like you're attacking just a sponge full of hit points. Right. And I think dynamic is a really good word for this. And I'll discuss this later, but I got the feel of maybe like Diablo 2 or Diablo 3 and definitely a lot of, you know, the more modern video or computer games. D&D, it's obviously pen and paper, it's tabletop. And so they try to limit the amount of bookkeeping, as we call it, with most monsters and stats. But it does make things feel just kind of very stiff, kind of like a clay golem where it's just going to walk up. It'll hammer down, you'll sit there, you'll fill it full of arrows and hit it with your greatsword, and then it'll drop or it won't drop. And that's about it. And it's a very simplistic battle for the most part. And this does add a bit of flavor as the minions will react to the players. And that is something that you could take the time and program into a game, and then it's just there and done. And it makes that game a lot more interactive. And bringing that to the table is what this is trying to do, I think. And I think so far, it looks like it's going to do a good job with it. Yeah. And one of the big things that I noticed just getting straight into it in the introduction section, they talk about roles the different roles for the different monsters. And this was something that was very big in fourth edition. And it was a great tool for dungeon masters on figuring out how to assemble an encounter because you are able to take, okay, this monster has a leader role. So it's going to be the one in charge. And so I need a couple of soldiers to guard it. And I need a couple of artillery to do some long range support. And then I need a support character in there to, you know, throw up buffs and stuff. And I will grudgingly say that is something 4th edition did correctly. Um, Honestly, James, I think that if you were to sit down and play a game of 4th edition, you would really enjoy it. I think that it's number crunchy enough and dynamic enough that you would actually enjoy it if you sat down and played it. I will have to give this a shot at some point, perhaps. But Listening to you kvetch about the removal of talent trees in World of Warcraft as often (laughs) as you have, I think that you would really enjoy 4th edition. Okay, that is a fair point. Because the talent trees did, that ruined the game for me. Cataclysm completely ruined WoW for me, specifically for that, but yes. 
Well, I mean, they didn't really remove talent trees until the transition into Mist of Pandaria. Pandaria. But, but they made them talent stumps by the time we hit Cataclysm. Yeah. Eh, not really. I, I mean, they step were... off my soapbox. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not talking World of Warcraft today. No. Though we are going to be mentioning Blizzard quite a bit, because like I said, this does have a lot of feel of a lot of their earlier stuff, which, you know, I am absolutely a huge, huge fan of, if it's not totally obvious. And I think modeling a lot of stuff after that, perhaps, or at least being inspired kind of shows through. And it does show the professional experience that Matt Colville had coming into this because he used to be a writer for Turtle Rock Studios, the oh, studio excellent. that made the Evolve game and made Left 4 Dead. Oh, I loved Left 4 so Dead. So he has that video game writer pacing and structuring of encounter and all of that experience, plus all of his many decades of running Dungeons and Dragons, you know, he has a lot of... You mean a video game creator is going to play tabletop games? He has a lot of the game design experience. So it, right. it does make it an interesting way to mingle the two. Absolutely. So so let's just hop into the book, or at least the preview, and see what he's bringing up. Because some of these look really interesting, and I would actually like to bring these to a table. Right. So I'm going to start off, I'm just going to go through briefly the different roles that they lay out for the different things. I think this is mostly one-to-one with all the roles for fourth edition. I think they've added a couple, um, mainly for player side creatures as opposed to enemy side creatures. And I'll, I'll touch on those when we get to them. The first one are ambushers. So creatures that hide and attack from the shadows. So your assassin types, they're going to be things like rogues. They're going to have the ability to do sneak attacks. They're going to have the ability to hide very easily. They're going to utilize a lot of hit and run tactics. Right. These will be like your highwayman that's going to try to ambush the party from the side of the road and kind of jump out and like, haha, you want a toll now type thing. Or just kind of get that first quick hit before you can react. Yeah. And these are the ones that I think are more likely to try and escape if it goes sideways. These don't strike me as the stand your ground and fight to the death kind of creatures. These ones definitely follow, you know, that Harry Potter rule of fighting that if you're fighting fair, you're fighting wrong. Or Harry Dresden, I'm sorry. Yeah, Harry Dresden. Wrong wizard Harry. Yes. (laughs) These definitely follow the Harry Dresden rule of fighting. If you're fighting fair, you're fighting wrong. (laughs) The next category is artillery. These are going to be your big, heavy range to damage. So this is going to be, you know, your archers. This is going to be your sorcerers. This is going to be your wizards with their fireballs. Those are the sorts of things that you're going to classify as artillery. I cast barbecue. Yeah. Then you have brutes. Brutes are going to be like your barbarian types. They're going to be the heavy hitting damage sponges. They're going to hit hard and they're going to have a ton of hit points. And you're just going to have to beat them into submission. These are going to be like your ogres and your giants. These are your big squishy meat shields. Yeah. Relatively low AC, but relatively high hit point totals. Yeah. And probably a good bit of strength on top of that, too. Just to make it hurt a bit when they smack you around. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's a big thing. They're not tanks in the traditional sense of stand there and just soak the damage. They are there to give as good as they get. Exactly. Next one is the companions. This is something that I think was added. These are for creatures that are meant to accompany the players on their adventures. So this is like that goblin that your party adopts. Right. Or the owlbear that the druid happens to get a very successful animal handling check on and it just starts following them around. 
Yeah. And traditionally, these can be kind of clunky to really add. And then if the party gets into a fight and the DM wants to fight, and now you've got to pull up, you know, well, what's the stat of the cell bear that the party collected, you know? And so that can be kind of clunky normally. So this does help mitigate that and manage it quite a bit. And they do mention later on trying to limit a game to having one companion per party just because it will slow down combat. Exactly. Next up is controllers. Wizards in 4th edition were considered controllers. These are typically casters, but they can be things with mundane abilities that debuff or force movement or put up obstructions or create difficult terrain, those sorts of things to shape the battlefield to hinder your opponents. Right. So in a lot of MMOs, this is called crowd control. And I think that is a great term because, again, that's exactly what you're doing is you are controlling the enemy crowd. You're sitting there, you're creating bottlenecks or somehow subduing a portion of the enemy force so you can only have to deal with it a a small chunk at a time. And that's what these are going to do. One thing I read within the past couple of weeks that never struck me is dropping Stinking Cloud as a first battle reaction instead of an attack because now you can blot out entire areas of the map that by definition the players and the NPCs are going to want to avoid. And so now you can direct the flow of where your enemy's going to go. So maybe you can lay a trap or keep them away from maybe a weaker player character so they can do more support roles and kind of guide them to your big squishy fighter or barbarian. Or not squishy, but crunchy. Yeah, so things like Stinking Cloud or Entangle or Spirit Guardians, things that will slow down the enemy, things that will not necessarily deal damage, but will inflict such debilitating debuffs, such heavy penalties that they want to try and avoid it to avoid those penalties. Things like Grease or even Caltrops. You know, if you have your rogues sitting there tossing some Caltrops, that can be... Caltrops are ball bearings, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So the next one is the leader. The leader is the first of the action-oriented monsters. These are creatures that have very specific movesets that allow them to direct their minions direct the creatures that are fighting alongside them. Something like the Hobgoblin Warlord in the standard monster manual, where they have that ability to issue a command as a bonus action and have one of their allies move or attack. Some of the maneuvers that the Battlemaster gets, I think is the Commander Strike that allows you to uh, give another ally an attack. Right. These start to develop very simplistic logic systems within the NPCs and the mobs. If A, then B. If C, then D. And so they have a set reaction to an environmental factor that's going to happen on the map. Yeah, and I I really like those sorts of reactive abilities. Abilities that have very specific triggers. And again, that leads back into those computer games or video games, you know. And that was something that you could do a lot easier with programming than you could do tabletop. But it also makes the game a lot more immersive and interactive. Yeah. And it gives you something to make a boss more threatening than just giving them more hit points and having them hit harder. It gives them something that they can do that will actually shape the battlefield and change the feel of combat. Yes. Next category are minions. I love the minion rules for 4th edition. They've taken the minion rules and tweaked them a little bit for 5th edition. We're going to definitely talk about the minion rules a little bit once we get through some of the monsters that we're going to talk about. General rule is minions have one hit point. They can hit, they can gang up on people. They're definitely a threat that can be quickly and easily dispatched. 
You don't have to keep track of hit points for them. So it makes bookkeeping very easy for the DM. It's more of a, were they hit? Yes, then they're dead. It's that simple. But it allows you to throw additional enemies into the fight to keep up that action economy, to really press the threat onto your players. So they may be in a situation where they have to decide, okay, am I going to use my turn to kill off these two or three minions, allowing this bigger enemy a chance to have another turn to survive for another turn and hit me with their stuff? Or am I going to ignore the minions, focus on the big enemy, and then risk getting swarmed by minions and getting hit five times? The minions are definitely a death by a thousand little cuts. Absolutely, yes. I really like using that because not only is it, you know, an added threat, but it also feels really good whenever you have a whole bunch of minions on the board and you're able to just wipe out a whole big swath of them in one attack. Yeah, that's always... You know, being able to drop a fireball and take out 12 minions at once. It feels amazing. It does. Ask me how I know. (laughs) But it also gives you a way to introduce a feeling that there's actual danger, especially once your party starts getting to higher levels. They're going to start hitting as hard as the regular enemies. They're going to be a threat. They are going to whittle down your hit points. They're going to consume your resources, but they are easily dealt with if you are able to take the time to deal with them. Uh, The next one are retainers. Retainers, I think are something that they introduced in their Kingdoms and Warfare book. I have the PDF for that. I haven't really gone through it much. I'm still waiting for my hard copy. It should be showing up sometime this month, finally. (laughs) Yeah, the whole shipping thing and COVID and all of that really just wrecked everything. Totally get that. I was supposed to have my hard copy two years ago. Oh. Yeah, it was the Kickstarter was in 2019 and I should have had my book by now, but all sorts of weird things happened. The publishing industry was hit a little bit harder than most. I get that. But retainers are they're like companions, but they're for people as opposed to creatures. So these are going to be intelligent individuals who have their own motives, who have their own desires, who have their own reason for accompanying you. These are basically going to be like the hirelings you could hire to follow your party. A very good example of that, like in Neverwinter Nights, where you could actually, you know, hire a thief or a wizard or whatever to accompany your party. These are really good if your table's underpeopled, like if you only have like two or three people, so you need to kind of fill that in. You can bring in a retainer here and kind of fill out those roles that you need as a DM. Or, you know, if you want to have the party that's all bards or all clerics, you know, or, you know, the clerics actually tend to be fairly well rounded out, but maybe all wizards or sorcerers, maybe they need someone kind of beefy up front just to give them a little bit of a shield. You can, as a DM, bring one of these in and kind of round the party up. Yeah, and this is a throwback to second edition where once you reach a certain level with the fighter or the paladin, you could establish a stronghold and start acquiring retainers. So these would be the people who would be coming in and working the land around your stronghold or would be coming in and guarding your stronghold while you were away. They would be there to make things for you while you were gone. So that way you had a way to generate income or to gain equipment that you normally wouldn't be able to do. Something more than just, okay, you kill a monster and loot its treasure. 
Two really good examples of this, I think, is one, Dragon Age, where you have your whole party and then you have to select certain members of the people that started following you to be in your party. So you'd have to leave some in base camp. And a similar vein, um, Pillars of Eternity had the same thing. So you had players of your party where you could only take so many with you. And then as you build up your encampment that you eventually develop, you could have smiths come in or alchemists or so they can make potions or armor or weapons or do research lore and things like that. That would give your party more information. So you had parts of your party that would act as a retainer. And then you actually had, you know, merchants and craftsmen in your stronghold that was bringing in extra income and producing items as well. And I'd really suggest playing both of those games if you've not. They are both very, very solid. I couldn't get into Dragon Age. The actual mechanics of the party structure just didn't jive with me. Really? Yeah, I couldn't get the hang of the whole making the whole party do things. Gotcha. It just didn't jive. No, I get that. This is why Ian's a heretic, and that's okay. But Mass Effect, <laughs> Mass Effect's my jam. How do you play Mass Effect but not Dragon Age? The combats at the the control systems It is not all, the same. They story. are almost the same. <laughs> I mean, maybe after the first Dragon Age, maybe I just... It's I, fantasy I, versus sci-fi. <laughs> I don't know what in the world game you were playing where you think that the way that Mass Effect plays and the way that Dragon Age plays are the same <laughs> because they're not. That's it. We're, we're going to have an off-air battle after this. It's on. <laughs> you don't have an action bar in Mass Effect the way that you do in Dragon Age. You still pause and go and move and it's yeah, you have an action bar that's a radial action bar in Mass Effect. That's it. That's the only difference. Now, wait, did you play Mass Effect on PC or on No, I played it on Xbox. Okay. So I primarily played Dragon Age on PC. And so that does make it a bit different. I have played it on Xbox too, and it feels a lot easier on console. And this is a complete rabbit trail, and I apologize. But that's okay. Yeah, the game systems and the engines are basically the same. Yeah, I might try picking it up again. All right. But I mean, because I got sucked into something where you could like create like programs for how your followers would react and it just okay see never i never got that far into it that all popped up like as soon as i got out of the starting area and into like the first big map area okay maybe i don't know again that's not that is something for off air (laughs) we're not talking dragon age today other than the fact they have retainers which is a good thing to have there see i looped it back good job me All right, let's get back into this MCDM book. Next up are skirmishers. Skirmishers and ambushers are going to be fairly similar in their tactics, except that skirmishers aren't going to rely on being hidden. They're just going to rely a lot on mobility. So they are going to have abilities that allow them to move without provoking attacks of opportunity. They're going to be ducking in, ducking out, hit and run. I love skirmishing units in most games. If I have to play something, I will generally try to play some type of skirmishing unit. And these are going to be the ones that are going to kind of hit you and taunt you and kite you into a trap or into something bigger. That's Their whole thing is to break up your plan or your ranks and get your party kind of spread out. So then whatever can kind of come in and pick up you know, whatever gets left behind or left weak by people moving or becoming over aggressive. That is their whole shtick. Their whole point is to draw one member away from the party so that the artillery and the brutes can just gang up on them and smash them into the ground. Right. Or even to draw the party away and then maybe leave like one of them behind because they got so murder hobo either. Oh, we're going to kill this thing. And they rush forward and then they don't see the ambushers that are sitting just behind waiting to spring. Skirmishers and ambushers work great together. Absolutely. Then you've got soldiers. 
Soldiers are going to be the ones that are your typical tanks. So they're going to have the high AC. They're going to be designed to draw the attention of their enemies to them and away from all of their allies. These are going to be like your fighters and your paladins, you know. They're going to hit reliably. They're going to hit often. They're going to be hard to hit back. Yeah. Then you've got solo creatures. Solo creatures are like leader creatures, as in they are action-oriented, but they are designed so that they can take on a whole party by themselves without any underlings. This is going to be like a boss or a mini-boss type encounter. You know, this is going to be strong. Yes. This is going to be the dragon at the end of the dungeon. This is going to be the big boss of the campaign arc. Yeah. And that is something that 5th edition really struggled with with their bog standard monsters in the books, is that they're not designed in such a way to allow a single monster to stand up against a four or five or six member party for any reasonable amount of time. Yeah. I mean, yes, they have their legendary actions and so they can act off turn, but it's still not the same because the legendary actions that they get are often very limiting. They're often very simple things and they don't really flow very well. And as we demonstrated in our March Madness, it's very easy if you know the creature you're fighting to circumvent their ability to use their legendary actions. Yes. And again, definitely mobility, mobility, mobility was just so much, especially on on a one-on-one. Yes. And then finally, support. These are going to be your healers. They're going to be the ones providing buffs. They're going to be the ones that give you extra movement or extra attacks or harder attacks or, you know, give you the ability to resist effects of enemy spells or clear status effects, or anything like that. Yeah. No, that one's pretty straightforward. And again, there are a lot of examples of video game class that do this. These are pretty much your clerics, possibly your bards. Actually, your bards are... Would, yeah, your, your bards are going to be... Support. They're, they're all going to be supporter controller. Yeah, that fifth edition bards are beefy, and I love them. But your older bards, you know, hey, I'm going to play a song, and it gets plus one to something. Good, good job, bard. <laughs> yep. Pretty much. All right. So the big chunk of monsters that MCDM has decided to use for their sample are goblins. Gobble gobbles. Because gobbles, as they appear in the books, are kind of boring. They, they really are, unfortunately. And you don't really have that many options. I think there's only like three or four published variants of goblins across all the published books right now. And so I'm pretty sure you end up having one goblin of every role available except for maybe solo in this sample okay so let's go ahead and break them down yeah the first one is the goblin assassin it's the ambusher it has a backstab so it has a 1d6 sneak attack because it's a cr1 half so it's a low level goblin but they're able to actually deal a decent amount of damage right they don't provoke opportunity attacks whenever they move out of an enemy's reach so they've got that sort of slip in hit slip out sort of feel to them and they are able to summon magical darkness once a day that they can see through it's just a little 10 foot radius sphere you know you're going down a hallway you're passing this little alcove suddenly it's dark and spooky yeah and then all of a sudden it gets dark and spooky and somebody starts getting poked yeah 
real hard. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I think something like the first thing that comes to mind when I do this, and again, this this also goes in with the skirmishers a bit, because again, the ambushers and the skirmishers tend to work the same and work really well together. But like if they were going down a hallway or maybe like down a road, like in grasslands or something, I'd have four or five of these lined up where they would run, hit, and then immediately run off since they're not getting that opportunity attack and then like run across the road into the grass. And then just having goblins zip across, take a stab and continue to run through, not stopping, just stab and run. And so you have to find where they are in the grass or try to get a lucky hit as they come across to kind of smack one. But you'd have to have some sort of instant reaction or bonus action movement to be able to do that or chase them down and find them. And that would start pulling that party apart, which would leave more openings for more ambushes to kind of come in and surround somebody and pull them down. Yeah, I can see, especially if we're going with this tall grass scenario that we're setting up here, what this particular goblin would end up doing is they would be coming out of the grass and attacking the mount of the person in the back of the line. Yeah. Or if they're not riding horses, then they're just going to come up and they're going to backstab the person in the back of the line. And without even breaking stride, they're going to dive into the grass on the other side of the road. While laughing, because they have to have that goblin laugh. Yeah. (laughs) And so the person in the back, everybody in front of them has no idea what's going on. Right. So they just dash out. The road's 10 feet across. They hit them. They dash into the grass on the other side and disappear because they can hide as a bonus action. And so now everybody's on alert. They start looking around. Now another one comes by and hits the one on the front of the line. Exactly. And dashes into the grass on the other side. And so now they know, okay, is this one goblin that's running around and getting us? Is this two goblins? Are there more out there in the grass? And they're starting to get into that, okay, what's going on here? Are they going to run? Are they going to go into the grass looking? Are they going to pick one side to go into and hope that they're not walking into an ambush? Are they going to split up? Are they going to form, you know, a defensive little core in the center of the road and wait? What's going on? And this is a great way to start any encounter. You could really have like two or three of these assassin goblins like this. And then, like I said, you could have some skirmishers kind of doing the same thing. Or you could have, you know, one of your big brutes that just going to kind of step up and start pounding someone out of the grass. Maybe like they have like a hill troll with them or something like that. Possibly a mage that starts throwing some heavy spells down. Archers perhaps, but again, archers kind of still go towards that ambusher feel a little bit. But yeah, you either get them clustered together so you can have something big kind of squish them all and stomp on them. Or like I said, you start pulling them apart. And then they get sucked into an ambush and they get swarmed. Maybe a handful of minions jump out. Now you've got your tank is completely surrounded and he can't move away because he's surrounded on all sides until he whittles through this maze of, you know, little one hit point pests type thing, you know? Right. And there are some monsters later on that we can add to this encounter that would really change the feel of it. Yeah. So the next monster in the list is the Goblin Boss, CR2. They have a multi-attack. They have an action of command where they can choose an ally they can see within 30 feet. And if they can hear the Goblin Boss, they can use their reaction to make a weapon attack or move up to their speed. And then as a bonus action, they can basically give all of their allies who can hear them within 30 feet the reckless attack feature for a round. So they all make attacks with advantage and attacks against them are made with advantage. Right. It's almost like a barbarian's rage without the damage reduction. No, it is reckless attacks. Oh, okay. That is a barbarian feature. Yes, you're correct. You can say I I play barbarians a lot. So much. So many. (laughs) 
And they also have a reaction ability called Cowardly Commander, where if you would hit them with an attack and they have an ally within five feet of them, they can use the reaction to have your attack hit that ally instead of them. And I like that, too, because, again, this is definitely going to be your leader. Actually, this is listed as a support type, and I would figure this would be more of a leader type, but a support type. So you are going to kind of control the field. And because this can buff the party, this is definitely one that you want to get down quicker, and it's able to kind of throw stuff in the way so you can't quite get to it. This goblin boss feels like if you've played Diablo 2 or Diablo 3, when you get those mobs of imps or little goblins, sometimes they're goblinoid type things, but you'd have all the regular ones kind of swarming you, and then you'd have the one shaman or the leader in the back that could cast a fireball and then raise the dead as well. And you like really want to get to that one so you can wipe out the rest of the pack, but there's just so much stuff you have to wade through to get to it. Or the corpse spewers, the ones that vomit up the zombies. Yeah. Yeah, those sorts of monsters, definitely. And like I said, in reading this, this is where I started really getting more of that video game on the table feel where it's not just every monster is just a stat block and they all act the same. They start getting more dynamic and start moving and they develop personality, which I kind of like too. Yeah. So it makes me sad when they die. (laughs) You killed (laughs) my monsters, they were my pet. Yeah. (laughs) The next one is the Goblin Curse Spitter. Just a great name. Yeah, it's the controller type. So their basic attack is a touch or range spell attack. So it's up to 30 feet and it deals poison damage and you have to succeed on a DC 12 con save or be poisoned. Another thing they have, they have a couple of different spells at their disposal. Brittle Bone Hex. This one's just brutal. I love it. So they target a creature within 60 feet and the first time that creature willingly moves or uses an action, bonus action or reaction before the curse spitter's next turn, they have to succeed on a DC 12 con save or take 2d8 necrotic damage. Yeah, one, I'm getting a little bit older too. I have the threats, so I have the, the movement things and there's days where you wake up and it just hurts to move. And I'm pretty sure I can blame this guy for it now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this is a great way to lock down the wizard. Yes. Because the wizard or the sorcerer, you know, somebody who may not have a huge con score. A sorcerer a little less because I'm pretty sure they have proficiency with constitution saving throws. But the wizard definitely, or the bard, because if they take any action at all, right. if they do anything other than just stand there and do nothing, they have to make that con save or they take necrotic damage. Yeah. And at the time when you'd be using this in low level because it's a CR1 monster, 2d8 average nine necrotic damage that's a huge chunk of damage that is i mean you're sitting there most of your creatures have either a six or eight hd for their hit die yeah i mean assuming if you did the stereotypical thing with your wizard and took constitution as a dump stat and you have a minus one con that's never a good idea con should never be a dump stat ever it, no we do not condone constitution <laughs> as a dump stat here at undercommon taste unless you like running up characters let's just say that you do <laughs> So you would start off as a first level wizard with five hit points. And then let's just say you get real lucky and you roll a six. And so you now have 10 hit points as a second level wizard. If you fail your saving throw on this, if your DM is using just average damage, if you fail that saving throw, you're at one hit point. I'm going to sneeze on you and you're making death saves. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Before we get too wrapped up in this, two other abilities to me, they can make two willing creatures they can see within 30 feet teleport to within five feet of them. So they can basically summon meat shield. Yeah. They can basically misty step two willing goblins 
to within five feet of them to protect them against the barbarian who is closing in on them with that battle axe. Yeah. And then finally, Dizzying Hex. It's a twice a day ability. One creature within 60 feet has to make a DC 12 wisdom save on a fail. They fall prone and can't stand back up for one minute. This is for the barbarian who took wisdom as a dump stack. <laughs> Absolutely. And they get to repeat that save at the end of each of their turns and it ends on a save. So yeah, basically you get cursed with a vertigo. Mm. Yeah. And the other thing too is this curse bitter also has the cowardly commander feat. So even if the barbarian did get to him and takes that swing, they can pull a nearby minion within five feet to take the hit instead. And because they can use that to me ability as an action, they see the barbarians closing in on them. And so they're going to grab a couple of soldier types or a, a soldier and a brute to come in and stand with them. And so whenever the barbarian closes and actually hits them, then they get to use their reaction to redirect it to the brute who has a whole bunch more hit points. Making them near invincible. Yeah. yeah I can <laughs> definitely see in our ambush scenario that this curse spitter is going to be the one leading this group. Yeah, definitely. And I can definitely see if the party decides to consolidate into a group in the middle they're going to start using their toxic touch from the weeds to just plink them with poison yeah, damage from cover until they decide to go in after them. Yeah. And that's whenever everything goes sideways. This is going to be like the best encounter ever. I want this on a table now. I really need to roll this out. Well, I mean, we're coming up on episode 100 Woo. here in a couple months. So, uh, might do another life play. I might end up doing that. Uh, that'd be great we might have to have some goblin encounters using some of these goblins from the mcdm book that'd be awesome yeah all right next up is the minions one thing that you'll notice from the stat block is that the minions they have hit points and you're going to think why do they have hit points if they die when you hit them very good question so the way that it works is if you hit them with an attack or if they fail a saving throw against an ability that deals damage they die if they succeed on the saving throw for something that deals half damage on a saving throw, then the half damage from the effect has to exceed their maximum hit point total. So they have six hit points. If they save against something that lets them save for half damage and that half damage is six or more, they still die. Right. So it, it gives just, them a chance. <laughs> yeah. So it, it keeps you from having that soul crushing feeling of, I deal a bunch of damage, but all of the minions just happened to roll really well and saved on my fireball. And so my fireball didn't actually kill any of them. Right. No, the fireball is still going to kill them. Yeah, I was going to say. This is going to be, I don't know, because right now this thing, this goblin minion has six hit points. So I'm trying to think half damage would be. If it deals 12 damage or more, just basic. Right. So I'm trying to think of what deals 12 damage or less generally that has a save. Probably some of your poison scores or something like that. Well, there's a bunch of first level spells that deal. I think Burning Hands is a first level spell that lets you save for half damage. It's a okay. cone. Right. And I think it's 3d6 baseline yeah. gotcha. as a first level spell. I think there's a Radiant Blast, Radiant something. I think it's a Cleric Cantrip that you can save against. Cantrips are all no damage if you save. Okay. There are no half damage if you save cantrips. Okay. I stand corrected. Cantrips are all or nothing. Gotcha. I need my book next to me. So one of the things about minions is that if you have two to five minions of the same type all around a single creature, you can simplify things by having them attack as a group. And so the attack gets an additional plus one to hit for every minion in the group. And if the attack hits, it deals one extra damage 
per minion in the group. Not bad. So a goblin minion attacking by itself, if it hits, it deals one point of damage. If you have four goblin minions together, it gets a plus four on the attack. So it already has a plus three, so it would end up being a plus seven to hit. And if it hits, it deals an additional plus four damage. So it would deal five total damage as opposed to one damage. It, it encourages you as a DM to actually use group attacks because it will actually deal more damage trivially, but it will deal more damage if you group them as opposed to having them each attack independently. Right. And it also speeds things up because you're making a single attack roll. It hits or it misses, and then it deals a set amount of damage. Right. And there's ways if you're melee, like you don't have to drop an AOE. There are overkill effects that we'll touch on a bit later that help yes. you weed through the minions as well. And I was going to say, this is kind of like that. Who's going to win? Me versus 30 toddlers type battle. <laughs> yeah. This this turns into. <laughs> yeah. It depends on if the 30 toddlers can group up into six groups of five and make six attacks against you. Yeah. All with little daggers. <laughs> well, they have teeth. They, they do have teeth. And they also have biological weapons. Yeah. We won't mention that. <laughs> anyway. Next up is the Goblin Sniper. It's the artillery unit. They have the ability to where if they miss with a range attack while hidden, they remain hidden. And they also have sneak attack on top of it so that if they hit, they deal the extra D6 damage. And again, same thing with the assassin. This is more common. You'd see that instead of an assassin running across, which isn't near as fun, you'd have just four or five archers or snipers just kind of waiting to all take a shot and kind of like, hey, look, we're a living arrow trap. Yeah, and I would say in this encounter that we are theoretically gathering up here, having a sniper or two on either side of the road. So the assassin is coming and making the initial hits to catch the attention of the party. Okay. To make them stop in the kill box. And then the snipers and the curse spitter start plinking. Okay, definitely. And so the party isn't sure exactly where it's coming from because it's coming from everywhere. Yeah, definitely creates a lot of terror. I love that. Next up is the Goblin Spine Cleaver. This is the Brute. It's got strong grip, so its small size doesn't impose disadvantage on attack rolls with heavy weapons, which allows it to use a great axe. I like it. And then it also has hand axes, so it has a ranged option, so it can throw hand axes at you. And its reaction is Trixie Warrior. So if a creature within five feet of it misses it with an attack... It can make a reaction melee attack with disadvantage against that creature. That's almost like a repost. Yeah, it's not as good as a repost because it does have disadvantage on that attack. But still, I mean, it allows them to take a counterattack if yeah. they miss. Then we have the Goblin Warrior. This is your skirmisher. This is the very standard. You'd really think that the warrior would be the soldier, but apparently not. <laughs> yeah. But they have the standard short sword, short bow equipment that a goblin does in the monster manual and they have as a reaction fleet foot so whenever a creature within five feet of it misses it with a melee attack it can move up to half its speed nice so you attack it and you miss and it just nopes right out yeah nope 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 and again as we learned with our march madness that can make or break a battle just in itself is that free reaction movement yeah and because all of these goblins have that crafty ability so that they can move out of reach without provoking attacks of opportunity. Right. That makes it really, really nice to have. Yeah. So, I mean, the only way that you're going to be able to lock that down is to have Sentinel. Yeah. That's the only way that you're going to be able to remove that advantage. And then you can only do that to one goblin per turn. Yeah. Okay. Then you've got Skitterlings. 
Uh, skitterlings are these tiny little beasts. They're not zerglings, but they're zerglings. Yeah, they're <laughs> they're they're basically slightly oversized spiders. So they're like bird tarantula sized spiders, and they just like the goblins. Don't provoke attacks of opportunity when they move out of range. Oh, they have fly speed. I missed that. Yeah. Per the thing, they have wings and they are the size of a small cat and they have six legs. Okay. Now, per the original StarCraft, one of the videos, the Zerglings were about the size of a German Shepherd. So these are a little bit small for Zerglings, but they're basically Zerglings. Yeah. They're going to come in, they're going to hit you with their claws, and then they're going to kind of zip by. And they're going to be fast and annoying. And and then they have, their claw attack only deals one point of damage, but you have to make a DC-10 con save or become blinded until the start of the Skitterlings next turn. The eyes, boo. Go for the eyes. Um, Which I am really looking forward to Mink's book when it comes out here in a couple months. Oh, yeah, I see the picture now. Yeah. Yeah. And then you also have a swarm of skitterlings. This would be perfect for our urban ranger, which we discussed last week. (laughs) Oh, yes. This is the soldier. This is the CR2 soldier. Yes. One of their abilities is in your face. So (laughs) if it gets in your face, if it gets into your space, you have disadvantage on attack rolls made against any creature other than the swarm. And they take 1d6 slashing damage if they attack a creature other than the swarm. So the swarm penalizes you for not attacking it. Yeah, I love that. And they're just all up in your business. Yeah. And they also have that DC 10 con save or be blinded. These things are vicious. Now, these actually, I mean, this comes in. Most of the things we've dealt with have been like CR one half. The brute was a CR one. The yeah, most other of these have been CR one half or CR one quarter. The swarm's coming in at a CR two. So this thing is nothing to just like. If the boss was a CR two and the curse spitter was a one. Yeah. But yeah, these are, I mean, they're goblins. So they're designed to be encountered by low level parties. Exactly. But they are very robust for what they are. Yes. And again, you can do these kind of like, I, I can never remember the name, but the evil thinking kobolds that, you know, kill everybody. Um, okay. It's the kobolds that do the traps. It's somebody's kobold. I forget the guy's name. Long. Tucker's kobolds. Yeah, Tucker's kobolds. You could do the same thing with goblins real easy. I mean, goblins. Especially with these. Yeah. Yeah. They don't take a whole lot to beef up and. Again, if you play them correctly, play them intelligently as a DM, you can really bring a lot of challenge to your party. All right. Then we've got the War Spider, which is as terrifying as it sounds. It's a huge yes. sized spider. Content warning that- for arachnophobes. Just throwing this one out here right now. Yeah. So if you're arachnophobic, just go ahead, grab some water, come back in about two minutes. We'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got armor on it. It's got bladed armor on it. It's got... Goblins riding on it, throwing skitterlings at people. Yeah, it's crazy. But this top ability, oh my god, is terrible and beautiful. And yeah, this is... uh And this is the one that the arachnophobes are going to want to mute us for for a minute. Last morning, go. Yeah. (laughs) It's called Baby Burst. And so when the war spider dies, a swarm of spiders burst forth from their remains and acts on the same initiative as the spider. Yeah, so this is like all those videos or pictures you've seen where it's like the mom spider carrying all the little babies on their back and they skitter out when like you smack it and just like babies just everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, makes your skin crawl. It does. I love uh, it. Next is a rider launcher. So the rider of the spider has a long jump of 30 feet and a high jump of 15 feet with or without a running start. 
Okay. So they can yeet themselves off of the top of the spider, <laughs> spider to attack it. you. It has spider climb, obviously. It ignores movement restrictions from webbing because it has web walker and wide back. So two small or tiny creatures can share space while riding the spider, allowing up to 18 small or 64 tiny creatures to ride the spider at once. Sweet Jesus. This is basically a transport. It's exactly what it is. Battle Carrier has arrived. Mm-hmm. So it has a bite that deals piercing and poison damage. It has bladed legs so it can stab you with its legs. It has a web spray so it can stick you with webbing, kind of like the web spell. Yeah. And then Trample, it moves up to its speed and moves through the spaces of creatures. It can make one bladed leg attack against each creature whose space it moves through during the move. This absolutely needs to be a Warhammer 40k or Warhammer Fantasy monster creature type. I could see this as definitely like a heavy transport for 40k. Yeah, this has a lot of orc, ORK energy vibes to it. Yeah, totally. Or even the Tyranids because they're all buggy creatures too. But yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we have the last enemy one is Queen Barknot as the leader. She's a CR3. Three times a day. Instead of just having legendary resistance, because legendary resistance is boring, whenever she fails a saving throw against a spell or effect, she can choose a willing creature within 30 feet of her so that she will automatically succeed on the saving throw and the designated creature acts as if they were the target and they fail. Oh, nice. So it's a redirect as opposed to just a simple nope. Yeah. Legendary resistance. And it also requires her to have minions to take it. So if you manage to get all of her minions out of the way first, she isn't able to use it. And I like that because that doesn't make your spells or your abilities feel wasted. You're still doing something. It's just not to the target you wanted. Yeah. So she has multi-attacks. So she can make three attacks with a short sword or two attacks with a short bow. As a bonus action, she has get in here where she shouts and 1d4 goblin minions appear in an unoccupied space within 60 feet of her. Nice. And then as a reaction, she has no dying. So when a willing creature she can see within 30 feet is reduced to zero hit points, she can choose to have them reduced to one hit point instead. I like it. And again, for me as a DM and the story wise, I would use this to make her like absolutely evil and have like someone that she was really, really upset with that she just constantly kills and then revives so she can kill again. That kind of thing. (laughs) Again, I can be a little sadistic sometimes as a DM, but that is a great trope to use. And especially if you came in weak and you've got like maybe your cleric dropped early or your squishy rogue dropped early. And so... As a DM, you're trying to give the party a little bit more things and you don't want to just totally TPK. You can use this and kind of bring them back so you can slap them back down and kind of keep them back and forth on a little Not bit. Not really, control. because it has to be a willing creature. I am sure the party member would think, you can die or you can have one hit point. Do you want it? <laughs> I don't know. I think that you have to be an ally okay. in order to be considered a willing creature. Okay, that could be fair. I mean, because you are considered a hostile creature. I don't right. think she would use it against a hostile creature is the thing. Gotcha. Okay, that, that's possible. I could see that. That'd be a DM call, but yeah. And then we've been talking a little bit about action-oriented monsters. Her being a leader, she is an action-oriented monster. And so here are her villain actions, as opposed to legendary actions where you have this pool of points that you can spend through the round that come back at the beginning of your turn. You get villain actions. So you have three actions that are very dynamic, that have a very definite impact, but you can only use each action once per combat. 
Okay. First one is, what are you waiting for? So each creature of her choice within 60 feet that can hear her moves up to their speed and makes a melee attack. No action required. Nice. Action two is focus fire. So she can choose an enemy within 60 feet of her. She and each creature of her choice within 60 feet that can hear her move up to their speed towards the target. No action required. Okay. And then the third action is kill. So each creature within 60 feet that can hear her of her choice can make a weapon attack with advantage. If the attack hits, it deals an extra 1d6 damage. Now, with this as written, it says each creature of her choice that can hear her. So can she affect the party members and make them attack each other? But it says can, not has to. Yes, can make a weapon attack. So they would have the choice of whether or not they would do it. Okay. Because if you could force the party against itself, that would be much, much higher than a CR3. Uh, yeah. But that said, even this, those are some great abilities to have. I love those. Yes. All right. We're starting to run a little bit long, so I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. So that brings us to the end of the goblins. There is a goblin retainer, and there are additional creatures. There's the lightbenders. There are these really interesting monsters that have rules for being companions. The other big monster in here is the Overmind, which is a beholder, but not really, because beholders are intellectual property registered trademark of Wizards of the Coast, because they are part of Dungeons and Dragons. They are unique to Dungeons and Dragons. So they can't use the term beholder, and they had to make them different enough from actual beholders so as to not infringe on the copyright. So instead, it is... Think of a beholder, but instead of eye stalks, they have these little psionic control floating eyes that just sort of orbit around them. They have eye floaties. <laughs> and they're kind of great. Yeah. They do also have a little bit of extra on some undead stuff, a rework of the corpse collector to make them far more terrifying. I freaking love that corpse collector. Oh my God. It, yeah, the art like, is amazing. Yeah. One, the art's cool. The abilities are amazing. It's a freaking CR 10, so it's gonna wreck more than a few days. Yeah. That's almost worth the price of admission by itself. Well, considering that the cost of admission is free. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we're just going to gloss over that because we're starting to run a little bit long. But some of the stuff in the end here, one of the things that Matt Colville touched on whenever he was revealing the Kickstarter project was changing the standard wording of the abilities from this great big long, a target poisoned in this way can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of their turns ending the effect on themselves on a success to save ends. Okay, great. Simple, done. I like it. I mean, if I remember correctly, that's how it was worded in third edition. Well, I use a lot word when some were due. Yeah, so I like that. I might actually start using that myself in our write-ups just because of the simplicity and by reducing i think he said 27 words to two words whenever you do that for 300 entries you end up taking a lot of length off of your document (laughs) right the difference is a lot of writers are paid by the word so they do like being a little verbose but for the players and the people reading that simplicity is nice and it gets the idea across Very clearly. Yeah, I saved. Okay, it's done. Yep. It's like, okay, you're affected by this. You get to try and save again at the end of each of your turns. And once you save, it's done. Done and done. All right. They go into talking a little bit about the villain actions. The villain actions are replacing legendary actions. So rather than having, like I said, the pool with the points that you can just reuse over and over and over again 
at the end of another creature's turn, you still have the same caveats that you can only use it at the end of another creature's turn, but they are much bigger and much more impactful, and you can only use them once per combat. Right. So it's a one and done, but again, it's enough that it can definitely shift the battlefield very quickly for the DM and for the party. And so again, this is a way for the DM to make the villain a little stickier on the table if, you know, all of a sudden your warrior starts rolling crits or, you know, that smite hits for extra damage or whatever. This can definitely turn the tide of battle real fast. And so this is up to DM's use, but very, very useful and quite terrifying for a lot of these. Yeah. And they are structured in a very particular way. So action one is an opener. It is something just there to be a little bit flashy and to show that the creature they are fighting is a non-standard creature. It's a flex. Yeah, it's a flex. It's exactly, yeah. The second one is a crowd control ability. So something that will either hinder the party or enhance the enemies so as to allow minions to move an extra time you know give them a bonus on their next ability throw out a hazard that limits movement or visibility or makes difficult terrain or something along those lines and then the third is your ultimate move so like the kill on that goblin boss that we had the goblin queen where everything that can attack a creature in range attacks that creature and every one of those creatures that hits deals an extra d6 damage. Right. So something that is big and just going to really lay the smack down and can really turn the tide one way or another very quickly. Yeah. Because you might have the barbarian up there who's just rocking it. And then that kill command comes out and 12 goblins hit him. He's going down. I was thinking, even if you've got a giant mob of minions, you know, and now you've got the the 20 toddlers attacking, so they're all hitting for, you know, plus 20, you know, at a higher level, those minions add up really fast. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. They have rules in here for the companion creatures. We're going to gloss over them for right now due to time. We're going to definitely put a link to this PDF in our show notes, as well as a link to the video of Matt Colville talking about Awesome. This document, which will also have the link in it. I do like that they put in a sidebar talking about the bag of rats. (laughs) Basically saying the GM gets to decide whether or not a creature that is killed by a companion is enough to count as a creature killed by the companion. Or if it's, you know, imposing enough because they have a mechanic called ferocity where they gather points as combat goes, and then they can spend those points on abilities. Right. So that way you can't just dump out a bag of rats and say, well, he has 20 enemies in front of him, so he gets 20 ferocity off of this. No, you can't do that. Right. And that's something with a lot of other abilities you kind of have to work with. Things that trigger, like if you kill something or things like that, that even 5th edition and 3rd edition had that, you know, DMs kind of had to start working around because it seemed a bit of a loophole that they created that they kind of overlooked. And so that is one of those things is, yeah, you can't have a bag of rats or a sack of puppies that you kick or whatever you need to go and beef that up. It's got to be a worthwhile opponent. Kind of the way Blizzard handled this, with, particularly with Warcraft, they did really good is, you know, this ability happens if you kill, but it has to give you honor or experience. You know, it had to be close enough to your level to be worth killing and not something you sneeze at. Right. Okay. So the last thing we're going to touch on is a little bit of the minion rules. 
So minions don't have hit dice, so they can't spend hit dice to heal during a short rest. They have no damage rolls, so they just deal flat damage. They all share the same turn to make it simpler to run them. If a minion takes any damage from an attack or as a result of a failed saving throw, the hit points are reduced to zero. If they take damage from another effect, they die if the damage equals or exceeds their hit point maximum. Otherwise, they take no damage. It keeps accounting super simple. You don't have to sit there and track, you know, a dozen. Okay, this one lost one. This one lost two. This one lost Mm -hmm. one. You know, it's just, okay, is it alive? Yep. Is it dead? Yep. Okay, great. Let's move on. Did this attack deal enough damage to kill it? No. Well, then it's still alive. Yeah. You know, there's no math involved. It is a simple look at the number and compare the number. Which number is bigger? Yeah. And now James did mention that they have a mechanic for overkill attacks so that you can kill more than one minion in a single attack under the right circumstances. So if you make an attack with a weapon, if the damage that you would deal to that first minion is enough to exceed how many hit points they have, then you can automatically go into the next minion if there's another minion in range. So the way that it works is for melee attacks, it's however many minions are within your weapon's reach. For ranged weapon attacks, it's for how many minions are in a line that goes from you to the first minion that you hit and continues through. Right. So you can have a pierce through effect. So if you like hit with your great axe and you wind up rolling 10 for your damage total, you've got three of these in front of you. You could definitely take out the first four hit point minion. Hit's gone. Then you get to the second four hit point minion. That's eight hit points. So that one's gone. And you'd hit the third one. And because it's a hit, that one would drop too. So you'd get three with one shot, basically. So you hit the first minion. It dies. You subtract its maximum hit points from the total attack damage. If there's any damage left, you can hit the next minion and it dies. And then you subtract its hit point total from the total damage. And if there's any left, you hit the next minion and it dies. Right. So it continues until you run out of extra damage. Perfect. Yes. Now, with the shot where you have like an arrow, that would be a little wonky. I guess you'd have to roll if you had like a a lightning arrow or a fire arrow. You'd have to roll that damage to first and not do fire damage to each one it hit. I would rule that any additional spell damage, like Mm -hmm. if you were using a flame arrow, would only affect the first target because it is it does specifically state that it's for the first target. Okay. That only the weapon damage is going to continue through. Okay. That's me personally. No, that's a but... fair ruling. And that's kind of what I figured. And that'd be the same thing. You just roll the damage for it. So you'd roll the arrow damage, would be like a 1d6 or whatever. And then you'd roll your 2d4 or 2d6, whatever the fire damage is. Add those together and just take that pool and start knocking them down like you would otherwise. And then later on in the document, they do have a handy dandy table for the challenge rating for your minions. I do love me some tables. So that way, basically, you're able to just grab whatever challenge rating that you're looking for, and it gives you what their attack bonus is, what their max hit point range is, and how much damage they deal. So that way, they scale with the party. You know, if you're having a party of 10th level adventurers, you can just grab some CR7 minions and throw them in here. And so they would have 21 to 22 hit points. They would deal eight points of damage a hit, have a plus three bonus to hit. And they do go through and they talk about how many minions to use and how to use your minions. So if you've never dealt with minions before, they do give some guidelines, some hints on how to add them to your campaign and not break the game, which is a great addition. Yeah. 
All right. Well, we got a little bit bogged down in the different goblins, but... I, no, I, I like we went through them, though, because it does show what they've presented in the different classes and how they work. And so I, I was glad that we actually went through and discussed those all the way through. And they do talk a little bit about encounter balance and how to use the companions, both for PCs and for NPCs, and some of the different things that you can do with that. So I strongly encourage you to go and read through the document. It's not very long. It's 26 pages and most of it is creature stat blocks. Yeah. So it's a lot of pictures, so it's okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But there's a lot of great stuff in here, a lot of great things to take from. And I'm really excited to see what the next batch is going to be because they're going to do them in themed batches as they finish them up. So yeah, Yeah. I'm I'm expecting there to be like a kobold one and an undead one. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to these rolling out. That said, I would probably use these for some slightly more experienced players. Like if this is your party's first time at a table, you can use a lot of these ideas, but this is definitely going to play better with people that have played the game maybe once or twice before. and kind of have an idea and a feel of how things normally work. I think So again, definitely for, I'm not going to say veteran players, but some slightly seasoned ones. I wouldn't, like I said, while great and a lot of information, I wouldn't bring this out for your first time playing. You could, but it would be a bit harder to explain. This is very much geared towards a more tactically minded player. Yes. And so if you have players who are, say, coming in from Warhammer or coming in from another game where the tactics and the layout of the mat really matters. This is perfect. And they really like that aspect of the game. These are perfect for that. Yes. These are absolutely perfect for that. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you for joining us. If you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas, please send us an email at undercommontaste at gmail.com or send us a direct message through our Twitter account at UCT Homebrew. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube, and Twitch. Just search for Undercommon Taste. We're on Patreon, patreon.com slash undercommontaste. That's where we put all of our write-ups. We recently uploaded our variant rules for the Ranger class for 5th edition that we talked about last week as our free upload. And we also included our Urban Ranger as our patron-exclusive upload last week. So please go check those out. If you want to get access to the Urban Ranger, consider becoming a patron. All tiers of patrons get access to all of our patron-exclusive content. Finally, we are also on Discord. We would love to have you come over and chat with us. So again, if this is your first time listening to us, welcome. We're glad you found us. Please, as always, give us a rating and review. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts. We're on Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify. Giving us that rate and review and subscription that increases our visibility and it lets us know what you want to hear more of. So we're going to be having our next interview this coming Friday with the guys from Tabletop Journeys talking about their newest book, The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse. Ooh. It is a book that they recently put out on the DMs Guild, and we are really excited to talk to them about that. So we're going to be on our Twitch account on Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. That is going to be on Friday, May 13th. Yeah, Friday the 13th at Uh 9 p.m. Eastern. We're going to be talking with Tabletop Journeys about their book, Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse. Awesome. So join us there to watch it live or catch it next Wednesday as our regularly scheduled episode. Perfect. And then after that, we're going to be getting back into our planar travels and we're going to be talking about the plane of Gehenna. So that's going to be the two weeks following that. So got a lot of stuff coming up. Really excited to get into it. Awesome. So with that out of the way, 
Thanks once more for joining us. Stay safe, and we'll see you next week. Happy gaming. Thank you for listening to another episode of Undercommon Taste. You can find links to all of our social media accounts, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, as well as our Patreon and Discord channel in the show notes. Our theme song is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find more of her work at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmarycrowell. Our logo was illustrated by David Sutherland. You can find him on Instagram at willx underscore 73 or on DeviantArt at deviantart.com slash David Sutherland. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe. We'll see you again next week.